Welcome to another celebration show, Chiefs fans. You're just going to have to get used to it. It's going to be ugly. Welcome to the new Kansas City Chiefs. We're going to talk about the Denver Broncos, what happened, what needs to happen next, how they get past this, or if they can, all with Matt Derrick still at the stadium. It's like 17 minutes past 2 a.m. or something like that. We're going to get to it right now on Locked On Chiefs. From the land of the free and the home of the Chiefs, this is the Locked On Chiefs podcast. Thank you, folks. We appreciate you making us your first listen today. Check another Locked On show for that. Matt Derrick is here and still awake. His <laughs> eyes moving and everything. I like that. We are uh, we are post game, Matt. I know you're fresh out of the pressers. Um, is it is it? Am I being fair? Is this winning ugly? Is this what it feels like? Yeah, winning ugly. Um, Pat, Tyron Matthew referred to it as weathering the storm. I think that's <clears throat> fairly accurate as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a great example of that. I mean, you, you look at the numbers and um, there's nothing that stands out that says that this was a Chiefs blowout win. I mean, they gave up, what, 162 yards to the opposing running back. Um, they had a, a couple of really bad drops. They had a bad turnover. Um, the offense only scores one touchdown. Uh, there's a, I can make a lot of cases for why the Chiefs should not have won this game, but they won it fairly convincingly, um, was never really in doubt, and they just keep on rolling, and defense is a big part of it, but right, this was a, definitely an ugly, ugly win, but a win nonetheless. Yeah, it was ugly, and uh, I apologize. I am not feeling great, so I am here, but... Uh, We're just glad you're here. Yeah. Exactly. Chris is a gamer. Has- he has the flu. We thought we might have be sending him to the hospital. Thanks for being uh, here. <laughs> so I'm here. So I apologize ahead of time. Uh, but I, I, I want to say it was an ugly game. And I'm just going to get this out of the way now because I think it needs to be said. Byron Pringle showed up to play on special teams. He may have dropped a ball. He may have screwed up, you know, with a couple of plays on offense. But he absolutely changed the game with that punt. Uh, what, what, it's not even a block. It's a, you know, causing a fumble by the returner. You Mm. see my brain's working so well right now. Sorry. You're on fire. Uh, Yeah. Well, quite literally blocking a guy into the returner to cause a fumble. He was running violently down the field and I saw it when it was happening and I thought he was going to make a huge hit. And then he ends up doing that. It was a great play by him. And the and funny that, thing is, is that it was ruled, and the reason why it was ruled a muff was because the officiating crew said that Prinkle was blocked into the returner, which he was blocked. In, he was blocked into the guy that <laughs> the his he was blocked into the Denver player who blocked into who was blocked. That's how I explained it. Was that yes, he was blocking a guy that he blocked into another guy, and that guy blocked him into the returner. So right. that's how Carl Treffers. <laughs> managed to rationalize that that was a, a, a Chiefs. But it was a great uh, – no, you're absolutely right. Take, take nothing away from Byron Pringle or the fish hitting on the call. Uh, it was a great play. And Pringle always does that. I mean, special teams, whether he's returning kicks, he's a gunner, whatever it is, that guy's a gamer on special teams, absolutely. And he looked pissed off on that play. That's all I was – I just saw him running down the field. I was like, oh, God, he's going to kill somebody. It was great. Oh, and that's what you have to have when when you're not fully functional, when you have to win ugly. You have to have plays like that on teams, certainly on defense. And you have to have just a couple of spark plays on the offense to, to move the ball enough. And this was certainly an up and down game. I didn't expect this coming out of the bye, Matt. Was, did it catch you by surprise as well? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't expect 
I thought the offense was going to come out a lot more sharp than it did and, and not as, as flat as it certainly looked. But it's a continuation of the same thing that we've been talking about now for weeks, which is that um, the Chiefs offense has been coming out looking great in the scripted portion, the first 15 plays, first drive of almost every single game. They've been effective over the last, you know, really five to six weeks. Ever since the Tennessee game, I mean, they've continued to go out there on that first drive and move the football, almost always getting points, frequently getting into the end zone. And then what happens after that? The last few weeks have been absolutely nothing. There's just been a, a total disconnect between the efficiency of that first drive and the first 15 plays and then what happens after that. And I, I thought that, you know, again, we saw us a lot of the same things that we've been talking about. Um, the first drive is a lot of quick hitting passes, mixing in the run, um, not pushing anything downfield, just really taking advantage of the, the, the thousand paper cuts offense and, and moving the ball downfield. And then you get out of that 15 scripted plays and all of a sudden ball starts trying to go downfield a little bit more. Um, it's pushing some balls on second and 10 when maybe you shouldn't be. Uh, it, it's just you, fall, you suddenly you're, you're getting yourselves into third and nines instead of third and twos, and the offense gets behind the eight ball a little bit. And as as long as that continues to happen, whether it's drops, whether it's penalties, whether it's any of the other mistakes in execution, and, and sometimes it's just even decision making. As long as we continue to see that, you know, as the as the game progresses and they get out of that that comfort period of that scripted portion that they've worked so hard on. Once normally this offense has always thrived, thrived on chaos. You know, when things break down, that's when this this team is, has always been at its best. But right now, it seems to be that when they're their most organized, they're at their best. And then when they get into the part of the game that's a little more freelance, they're just not a, executing. And I can't explain that because it's the exact opposite of what this team has really been the last two years. I want to get into why that is here in a minute because I, I have a couple of theories and I thought some things came to light tonight that kind of explained that. But like you said, when they were in the script, that's when they scored tonight. The rest of it was was ad lib and wasn't functional. And I'm going to have to go back and watch the film to figure out what's going on. And when I do that, I'm probably going to have to do it on my tablet because the game will be on the TV and I'll have to watch something else on the phone. So I have to put it all together and we can do that over a direct TV stream because that's what they do. They declutter, they de-emphasize everything. So you get everything in one spot, super clean, super simple, no annual contract. We really think that this is the new way to watch whatever you're going to watch, whether it's entertainment or sports or film or whatever you're there. You can find more about it over at directtv.com. This is DirecTV Stream. You can see that at directtv.com. A compatible device is required, and the package does vary. There's a lot going on in this particular game that I think was evidence of dysfunction in different small ways. It wasn't enough to bog down the whole offense and 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 crush this game, but it was enough to make you nervous. The drops are still a thing. There's the scripting, like you talked about in the last segment, that is still a thing. I think the concern, too, is we saw very late in that ball game what looked like on a drive, the, both drives to end the halves concerned me. They gave up and quit on the first half. I think early and just packed it in. That is my personal opinion. I'm interested to see what you think. But the last drive, I thought also, we saw tension for what should have been the closeout of a ball game that you have well in hand. And we saw tension between EB and Patrick Mahomes in particular. Do you think that those two things are related? I mean, my gut says that they probably are. Um, you know, the, and more so with the, the end of the, the really the game scenario. 
Um, at the beginning of at the end of the first half, uh, you know, came up in the press post game press conferences, and Andy Reid said, "Hey, it was his decision to basically shut everything down there and play it conservative." Um, you know, and, and to me, that plays into a lot of the decisions that you're going to talk about from Andy Reid tonight, and really, you know, his being a a gut and momentum type of coach, more much more so ever than an analytics kind of coach. Mm-hmm. Um, Andy Reid's going to go by what he what his experience tells him, what he thinks his gut tells him, and and he believes in momentum and he believes in, in that power. So, you know, yeah, he basically the way I think the way the first half had started to go. I don't think that he had a tremendous amount of faith that the offense could push the ball down the field and do anything in that last 69 seconds. So that's why he was fine playing conservative, packing it in, not trying to do anything, mostly not making a mistake that would end up, you know, handing the Broncos any points. So, you know, you just really basically get out of the first half and, and get the, the kickoff to start the second half. You have another, another decision later on that becomes, you know, criticized, which, you know, with Andy Reid deciding to, to settle for the field goal rather than go for it on fourth and short to, try and extend that drive and maybe get into the end zone. And, and, and Reed talked about that a little bit, but I mean, that's a classic Andy Reed decision. I mean, he's almost always in that situation. If he feels like his offense is performing and functioning and can get a conversion on, on fourth and short without any question, I think he's going to go for it. But this was a game. Once again, he sees an opportunity to that. You've just gotten a turnover from the Broncos. If if you get stopped on fourth and short, that's a tremendous momentum shift towards the Broncos. They've just given the ball up deep in their own territory, and their defense gets a stop and gets the hand back to their offense with no points. That's the last thing Andy Reid wants. So mm-hmm. he's going to get points out of that drive regardless. But then again, I mean, what what in the last, you know, at that point since the opening drive had convinced you that the Chiefs offense could convert to fourth and short? I, I think in that situation, he just didn't have the confidence. And and late in the game, I mean, yeah, I mean, that that it did not seem like that was a, a team that, you know, a week two weeks ago against Dallas, you know, they really they, they managed to put the game away. I mean, they took that last drive, took the mm-hmm. ball, just extended it. This offense didn't have that confidence tonight. They didn't seem to have the confidence that they could, you know, go out there and, and get that done tonight. And maybe it was a, a, dis, a disagreement between Mahomes and the coaching staff, too, about, you know, how best to handle that situation, because I, I definitely think you're right. I don't think I didn't sense that there was a, there was agreement on how to handle that situation tonight. I think it's very curious to see Andy Reid not go for it at the end of the first half, but then you start looking back at situational football. Ninety yards to go with two timeouts, and you're up by one score at that point. If your offense had been clicking the entire season, maybe you try going for it, but they haven't. <coughs> Sorry. They haven't been. They've been struggling, and I get why he did what he did. I didn't like it particularly at the time, but you saw throughout the NFL today in another instance where the coach decided to trust his team and go for it, and it cost Baltimore a chance to at least play for a win against Pittsburgh. And that one play alone by Harbaugh could change the ability of Baltimore able to get the number one seed if they lose one more game and the Chiefs win out, Kansas City would hop Baltimore and be the number one seed because of that one play. <clears throat> yeah, and, and that to me, you know, is it's – it's hey, this is a, a whole other lengthy debate about analytics, but, you know, <laughs> Andy Reid is very, you know, conventional in that respect. And one thing that he's always going to be looking <clears throat> at is that he's going to be looking at the likelihood of, a you know, a 99% chance of making a field goal – 
versus maybe the 40% chance of actually getting into the end zone in that situation, whatever, whatever he thinks maybe the odds are in that spot. And he's going to have a different opinion probably on what he thinks his team's odds are versus what the numbers say. And in that situation, you're, I mean, to me, that's what he's looking at. You're, you've hit it. I mean, he's looking at an offense that has not been automatic. He's looking at an offense that has not been striking in all those, those spots right now. So, you know, he, he doesn't want to walk into that situation, especially in that situation right there. He wants points out of that drive. He does not want the Broncos to get out of that spot where they've just gotten a stand, the defensive stand. They've took the ball back away from the Chiefs, and they're, what, at that point, 10 points down? You know, that's that he does, he'd rather be up 13 and not have the Broncos just had a momentum win than to be up 10. I mean, he'd rather – he would rather still have that momentum over even the possibility of, you know, maybe have, maybe you get a touchdown in that spot. That wasn't worth the risk to him. And it's never going to be worth the risk to him, especially when his offense is playing like this. I think that's a great way to put it. It's about risk for Andy Reid. And I know he can't control it, but I do feel like something needs to be done. Another thing that surprised me coming out of the bye, there's still risk involved with not catching the ball. There are a significant amount of drops. I thought a break, a time away, reconcentration on the basic fundamentals of your job as a pass catcher would have corrected some of this, but clearly that's not the case. Where are we with this? What do we have any reasonable expectation that this is going to go away now, 13 games into the season? Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, to a degree, a lot of some of the drops have been different. I mean, you know, and Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes have talked about that, you know, that when they were talking about certainly the turnovers and some of the turnovers were all a little bit different, the drops are the same way, but I'll tell you what, I mean, a couple of the drops, I absolutely, you know, Tyree killed needs to catch that football. I mean, that's, that's, that's a, I don't know what next gen stats. I didn't see if they ever put it out there, what it was, but in my book, that is 75% plus that that's a catch. And, and there's two of them he dropped. And, and he had, a, yeah, he had, a, he had a couple of drops. Uh, Kelsey had a drop too that, I, I, you know, and Mahomes took a little bit of the polish, you know, the pun, the, the, the blame for that too. And it absolutely was because he had a couple of throws that were not on target. Um, he had one throw to Kelsey that, you know, and and I, and I think even Pringles, you know, first drop fitted that a little bit too, which was that those were in areas that I think those receivers absolutely heard footsteps. I mean, they were going to mm-hmm. get hit and. And and that's a pretty common drop when a receiver you know doesn't looks away from the football because they feel the hit coming. And there were a couple of those that Mahomes threw into spots where I know there was one Kelsey had that if he'd made the catch he was going to get hit very hard. And then you well Pringle had a drop that was you know kind of another classic because he was kind of looking upfield to, to make the move and didn't just you know wait for the ball to get to him. He was trying to take off without it. That's kind of another of these mental miscues. But I think that that probably again. A lot of this stems back to these guys pressing. I mean, we've talked about it for a while now that the offense has been trying to make big plays, and and sometimes you just have to wait and, and let for the game to come to you. And um, where I think we're just seeing that a lot. And one, you know, we talked about the ugliness of this game. I went back and looked at the numbers. You know, this is the first time that it, you know since 2016 when Tyreek Hill arrived that the Chiefs have won a game when both he and Kelsey go for fewer than 50 yards receiving. Uh, the, they had one win when Kelsey had exactly 50, and I think Hill had 46. That's the only other time that they've come close to winning a football game when those two guys are both off on the same night. So that speaks a little bit to just you know how rare it is to win a game this ugly. And they won it mostly because Daryl Williams and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire came up with a couple of big plays. Um, but the Broncos did everything that they could to take those two guys out of the game. 
now those two guys made a couple of plays that took themselves out of the game. But I think it's at the same point, you have to give the Broncos a little bit of credit. I mean, they, they purposely were geared this, this defensive attack towards do not let Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey beat you. And to the most part, they executed that. I, I think the biggest cue goes to the other side of the ball. I want to get into the defense, but this holiday, Grab yourself a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It's real simple, and it's worth doing. Chris will show you. I'll even show you because these things are like gold. They're better than candy bars. Filled with as much holiday goodness as you can stand, rich, decadent, and covered in chocolate. You can have what you want. Amazingly low in calories, carbs, fat, and they're super high in protein, so they will get you through this holiday season. You can get the boast of both worlds, both delicious and healthy, with Built Bar. There's so many flavors, I can't go over them all. I refuse to, but the coconut and then the cookie dough, those, those are the good ones that you want to go order. Um, and I do believe that they're still available. So help Santa out. Give him a few Built Bars. Maybe he'll even like those there with some little cookies. You don't have to give him all the milk. I think that's probably overblown. Just feed the man, will you? Um, you guys can check it out, and you can get your discount. By going with us to built.com, use the, the promo code LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off of your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. You can then go over to bet online because you're going to have to make some of that money back that you just saved. You might as well put it on, you know, a Chiefs bet. Like, will they score this game? That might be a prop bet worth taking the over on. I think that's probably good. Just don't go much above, I don't know, 14 at this point. BetOnline has you covered for all those props, the strange ones, and the straight-up lines that you want to get your action in on. It's the number one spot for all of your sports action this season. Head over to the new and updated website, and all you got to do is jump in there. Get signed up with our code locked on, and you get 50% bonus. You get 50% plus what you deposited in there from BetOnline.ag. It's the fastest, easiest way to get all your sports action on the line. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. Really, really quick. Uh, defensively, it stuck out to me. Hitchens wasn't mentioned with the starters. Did anybody else notice that? Very early in the game. He'll be he fine was... with them. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Was that, was that just on the, on the broadcast? Or? Yeah, on the broadcast. He was not mentioned with the starters. I thought that was interesting. Secondarily, though, uh, he missed some tackles on Javante Williams, but there were a lot of people that did. Uh, but that block was absolutely phenomenal. And yes, it was a penalty, but Man, <laughs> both those things are true. It was a fantastic thing to watch on a football field. It was also definitely, by the letter of the bolt law, a penalty. Yep. Rules rules committee, you got to fix that. I'm just saying. Oh, and how about Daniel Sorensen and Ben Neiman oh. hooking up for the play of the game? Uh, those two guys who've been much maligned by Chiefs Kingdom coming up for the play of the game. If you're not yeah, on YouTube, and- folks, I'm clapping. And Andy Reid, Tyron Matthew, they were all very, very happy for Dan Sorensen. And Dan Sorensen even took to the podium after the game and um, talked about it. And, you know, it was it was a you know what? He gave a really good answer at one point that I think probably everybody should go watch because it was really just talking about, you know, when you go through struggles and go through difficult times and, you know, what you have to do to kind of block those things out and, you know, just kind of move forward. And um, he also, of course, you know, said that he didn't listen to any of the criticism earlier in the season, didn't read any of the articles, says he won't read any of the articles talking about the great big plays tonight that, you know, the only critiques and criticism he's interested in is the locker room. And, 
you know, it's Dan, that's Dan Sorensen in a, you know, a, a capsule. I mean, that's always been the kind of the guy that Dan Sorensen is. I mean, he's not flashy. It, that, that, that celebration into the end zone is about the flashiest thing I think I've ever seen Dan Sorensen do. And I think there was some genuine emotion coming out there at just, you know, the, the struggles that he's had and didn't have a big moment like that. Uh, but yeah, you know, for, for Ben Neiman to, to kick it off and then Sorensen to make the big play and finish it off that way. Um, that was big for this. I mean, we talk about these moments that this have helped this Chiefs defense go along. I think that was another one of those moments because that was a, a time for that, that entire group come together and they were very, very happy for Dan. And congratulations to Bridgewater for at least getting a hit in on this return. Well, he gave him like a boost. He strapped a rocket on his back or something. I don't know what that was. But, hey, you guys will hear me say this. Good for Dan Sorensen. I'm happy for him. This doesn't erase all the criticism that he's faced because that's all legit. But I will say this. The problem early in the season is that we were having the negative plays from Dan. And we weren't getting these plays that he has always had a nose for. So I think going forward, especially in this third down package relief type substitute role, as long as he can contribute some of those, we can live with the negative plays because it all evens out. I think Dan Sorensen is just a roller coaster at this point. We have to have the upside to go with the, with the downside, don't we, Matt? Yeah, and I, I stand by what I've you know said about Dan Sorensen for years is that I, I truly believe. I think he's one of the best number three safeties in the league. It's when you ask him to be more than that, that you're going to start seeing some warts and you're going to start seeing some things popping out. And, you know, he's man's 31 years old. He's never been the fastest guy on a football field. He's always been one of the smartest guys and the hardest working guys on the football field. And those are two tremendous to his credit. But you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, one of the things that Andy Reid preaches and Steve Spagnuolo preaches is putting guys in the right positions to make plays. And, it's not entirely on Dan Sorensen. I put it on Andy Reid and Steve Spagnuolo that earlier in this season, they were putting him in a position where he could not make plays. They were asking him to do things that were beyond his skill set. And that was a that was a mistake. And whether that was simply, you know, whatever their decision making was with Juan Thornhill, whatever that I, I don't know exactly what it was, but I do think that was probably a mistake earlier in the season. Um, now it's worked out. Juan Thornhill's playing extremely well in his role. Uh, I think Dan Sorensen's playing better. And, and now that he's got a specific role in which he fits his niche, and now you're seeing Dan Sorensen with some confidence, I think that's only going to be good for this defense going forward. I just got to say really quick, the one thing that really stuck out to me in the second half is one thing that we did not want to see early on in the season was Daniel Sorensen bailing out from the line of scrimmage and going back deep in coverage. We saw that how many times tonight? I saw it at least four or five times in the second half where he was bailing out and, and going back in coverage, and it didn't seem to be an issue. So this defense has changed what they're doing, and it's working, and I think that that's a huge thing going forward. And kudos to Melvin Ingram for starting the sack party off early in the game. <laughs> that's absolutely true, but I want to go back one more minute too because we can all be happy for Dan Sorensen. Juan Thornhill made a heck of a play too, and I like what you he said did. about roles, Dan, because – Dan Sorensen, Matt, Dan Sorensen playing in his role works. The interesting thing was, and I think this this is a more significant play than, than we realized at the time because of the Hitchens penalty and all that stuff. This was Juan Thornhill doing what he doesn't do. This was Juan Thornhill playing the Matthew role. He was in the robber there with Matthew and Sorensen over the top of him. This shows that his skill set is more than we've asked him to do in the past, and it ended up in a brilliant play that we're used to watching him play over the top so that Matthew can make 
I think this is important for his evolution for this this Chiefs 2022 roster to look at what their safety group's going to be, especially with the contract situation with Matthew. Having Juan Thornhill be able to step outside of his just deep role, that's got to be a significant step forward, doesn't it? Oh, it absolutely does. I mean, especially, you know, since the core of the argument that the Chiefs made early in the season was that, you know, Juan Thornhill lacked confidence, that he wasn't necessarily playing with the confidence that he had as a rookie. And I think we're seeing that now. I mean, and a play like that tonight is probably it was really big because one, he'd come close to a few other interceptions. And, you know, and it, it was it was really kind of, I think, driving him crazy. And, and maybe even, you know, the rest of the team were like, gosh, you know, this guy's got to get finally get his hands on the football because he's been so close. So I think finally, you know, getting over the hump on that one is going to be tremendous for his confidence. And I think the way that he's just has been playing and, and the way that this defense has, absolutely. I mean, next year is going to be a very pivotal year for Dan Sorensen or Dan or Juan Thornhill, excuse See, me. See, we're all doing it. Exactly. I mean, it, 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 the outcomes for where Juan Thornhill can go are still incredibly wide. I mean, he can become, a, I think, a star or he can just become another player. Um, it, it's in his hands. But if he can build off moments like tonight and really build off the performance that he's contributed to this defense over the last few weeks, then, yeah, I mean, I think that there's an incredible potential for him. He's just got to be able to seize it. And I think we're starting to see him do that. And I think the other thing that I want to point out really quick before we go, go to game balls, Shavarius Ward has continued to play well. Obviously, we didn't see Snead get thrown out tonight. But Ward, when he was thrown at, showed that he has the ability to play corner at a very high level, and I think that's really helped Kansas City as well. <clears throat> Matt, who are you giving your game ball to this week? You know, I've been going back and <clears throat> forth on this one. Um, I there's In my heart of hearts, I kind of wanted to give it to Andrew Wiley for that pancake block that he had on, on Bradley Chubb on, on Mahomes' <laughs> touchdown run because I was just so happy for the guy. Um, but – I'm I'm just so completely torn. So, so many guys on the defense had some really good games. Nobody on the offense had a very good game except for the running backs. I, I'm still torn, and I well, feel like it, whoever, I, whoever I take, I'm going to make <clears throat> one of the two of you mad. So you know what? I'm going to go with the unpopular pick, Dan Sorensen. My game ball. The old man deserves it. I just want to say really quick. You talked about the pancake block by Wiley. I don't remember if it was in the second quarter, but Orlando Brown just crushed a Broncos defender and stood over him and just looked down on him for like five seconds on the field. It was great. <laughs> and I haven't seen that enough by Chiefs linemen. It's it's just great to be able to see that kind of thing. And this line is playing very well right now. Ryan, who's your game ball go to? I, I'm going to take the other obvious out. I'm going to give it to Juan because I, I think not just making that play as a big play, but allowing the rest of this defense to know that he's the guy backing them up. I think that that's more significant than we let on in the evolution and, and where we've gotten this, this defense to at this point in the season. I'm sorry. I missed it. I was coughing. What did you say? Hi, his name's Juan Thornhill. He okay. wears number 22. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate yes, that. Okay. Folks. Now uh, that we've I'm, enlightened Chris. <laughs> <laughs> he's playing hey. with pain, man. He's playing with pain. <laughs> I'm giving mine to Willie Gay. I thought Willie Gay played a really good game. He had some huge stops. For Kansas City, he was very clutch at different times. His speed really is a difference maker on this defense, and I think that's so huge for this team going forward. Uh, I really hope that it continues. And I do want to throw out there really quick, because I don't think we mentioned this, there was one injury, and it's, uh, I, we'll see whether or not it's a long-term injury, but uh, Chris Lamons, is that how you pronounce it, Matt? That appears to be what we're going with, yes. It's a 24-hour <laughs> race now? 
Yeah, ankle injury. I, who knows when he'll be back, but uh, just want to throw that out there. I'm done. You guys have fun. <laughs> Matt, thank you for the time. I know you're up late. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Chris, get better. We all need you, man. Aww. Appreciate that. Folks, thank you for listening today and making us your first listen. We will definitely be back with you tomorrow. Matt and I will be back on Wednesday as well, and we'll get ready to take you through the next week. There's a lot more to talk about, a lot of details. We will talk to you tomorrow.